Hi, and thank yeah, you okay. for listening. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go for it. Okay. Also, I just want to comment that I uh, thoroughly enjoy your mustache soul patch combo. <laughs> Hi, and thank you for tuning in to the Continental for the place for Canadian news and politics. I am your host, Avi, and with me I have my co-host, Tyler, and we have a special guest with us, uh, Kave. I'm 22 years old from Montreal, Quebec. Uh, I have been involved in politics since I was about 18, um, and, and I've been actively uh, being a, a voice for, for disabled people. Hi, my name is Tyler. I'm 23 years old. I'm a member of the Democratic Socialists of Canada, uh, Montreal chapter, and the Montreal Socialist Affiliates. I also head a online independent uh, leftist media group called Scapegoat Media. Okay. Hello, I'm Kaveh Amiri. I'm 22 years old from Montreal, Quebec. I am fairly new to politics, but I'm here to represent the small businesses. I am running a small business in Montreal with my family. We'll start with uh, Canada to receive 6.5 million COVID-19 vaccines by end of March. So, you know what, it's like for this one, it's like we, we got to admit that uh, the federal government, like they, they, they kind of did the right thing in the beginning of the pandemic. Like they, 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 they implemented CERB, um, you know, that, 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 was that, that we did need at the time, but then, um, you know, as, as the pandemic goes on, people get fatigued and you're like, okay, when's this vaccine coming? So, and you know what, especially because uh, the liberal government uh, was talking about like, oh, you know, we're, we're going to get vaccines. We got so many vaccines. And now here we are. Uh, most of Britain um, is pretty much vaccinated. Vaccinated. Uh, I know Britain is planning to, 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 to decrease all lockdown measures in June. Right. So leaving. So Canada is, has the shortfall of vaccines comparatively right so um tyler what's your what's your input on this headline i mean i think definitely comparatively you know in comparison to other first world uh developed whatever you want to call them nations um particularly in the anglosphere uh you know like compared to countries like the united states and britain uh the liberal government has certainly uh far surpassed the performances of our, uh, you know, our allies in almost every way, at least in the beginning of the pandemic. You know, the passing of CERB was a pretty monumental act, and uh, we shouldn't forget that it probably wouldn't have been passed and would have existed in the form that it did were it not for uh, the NDP pushing so hard for it. Um, it was essentially an NDP plan from the beginning, and then. The liberals implemented it, um, and it was a resounding success. Um, now, when it comes to the administ administering of the vaccine, I, I can't say I don't understand what went wrong. We we it seems like a waste of a major waste of money that they they ordered how many vaccines now, only for most of them to be ineffective and then have the vast majority of the population still unvaccinated. Okay, so um, Kaveh, what's your opinion on, uh, on that specific headline? I'll read it again. Uh, we're supposed to receive 6.5 million COVID-19 vaccines by end of March. Uh, honestly, I am looking forward to it actually coming out into effect and having everyone being vaccinated. I am, like, like you guys said, I'm confused on why Britain and the United States got on this so much quicker than us. But um, as for the vaccine, I'm really happy that there's actually a plan now from the Canadian government for them to actually bring them into effect. Like here in our area, we see that the, the vaccinations are starting with um, the elderly people over the age of 85 and slowly graduating different levels towards us. I think they definitely botched the initial uh, administering of the vaccine, but it, 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 it appears in the coming months that, you know, things will 
uh, at least improve. They've signed all sorts of contracts with other com- countries, especially, specifically India. They just signed a big contract with India to supply Canada with uh, vaccines. Um, so hopefully, hopefully we can be- get back on track. Right. Uh, but also, I, I also want to claim jurisdiction here. Um, what we see going on in terms of vaccinations uh, on the islands of Montreal and the province of Quebec is handled by uh, the CAQ, the provincial uh, government here. Um, right. It is the federal government's job to actually just, just bring the vaccines to Canada and distribute them. Um, but the, the provinces have, have the, the responsibility of actually getting those vaccines into arms. So, I, you know, I, and I, re- I actually believe that a lot of the flack that the liberal government re- received in the, the, you know, the first months of the pandemic should have been directed to the, uh, the provinces, right? Like I- implementation of, the, uh, of lockdown. Remember lockdown last March? That, that, was, yeah. that was not at the, under, under, at the direction of, uh, of Justin Trudeau. Like he, he, didn't, he did not decide like, okay, Quebec, um, you are in lockdown. Like it doesn't happen. Right. It doesn't happen that way. And you know, we need to stop pretending it does that. What right. the way Quebec is dealing with the vaccines, there is plenty to be criticized about. I agree. But if right. you criticize Justin Trudeau, it doesn't actually solve anything. Right. Yeah. Speaking of Quebec, right. We're, we're talking about Legault. So Quebec premier Legault puts lid on popcorn gate will compensate movie theater owners for lost snack sales. So it's like, you know what? Let me go on the record. You know, I, I, I would not have a problem usually with, with a state-run uh, movie theater. <laughs> but, but what we see here is because if you remember, uh, Legault made the call before the, the, the cinema owners started to complain, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, how I see this is, because uh, Legault is, is facing uncertainty and, and unpopularity. So he made a move oh, yeah. he made a move to allow us to, uh, to have some freedoms during March break. So he made that move and then the cinema owners spoke up. So now he's, he's back backpedaling so he doesn't have to walk back his, uh, his movie theater promise, but he also doesn't get he doesn't have to be the bad guy, which well, results in pain for, uh, for <clears throat> popcorn. Which, which essentially, which it's all profits. It's just, mm-hmm. it's silly that it's empathetic that the only time he ever actually makes an executive decision like this is when business leaders are upset about something. Right. Are upset right. that they're not making enough profits. And there's a big difference between a state-run uh, movie theater and a privately-run movie theater whose profits come almost exclusively from state subsidies or provincial subsidies in this case. Um, I want to say one thing. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I want to know, what are your guys' opinion? Since he is opening up the movie theaters and everything, and then they're giving the, the loss, like you said, the loss sales for the snacks or whatever, what's your opinion on the, like, the arena is not reopening, you know, people being through that, how the gyms are not being reopened, how they're not compensating for those people? Yeah, well, I'll, the I'll, I'll of the start gym. with that. Actually, um, you know, I believe, like, it's a public health order. Um, like it, it should just all be closed, right? We, if yeah, we look, I fully look, agree. Look at the graphs. It, it, the second wave was, uh, it spiked incredibly. Um, uh, not, not double, but, but from peak to peak was about, uh, like you, you could put the first peak of the, uh, of the first wave on top of itself and get the second wave. So by using that graph, oh, more than that. It, it's, it's, it's about that, right? So it's like, you know what, we, we should be doing more to actually try to curb and flatten the curve here, you know, and, and for the compensation, uh, if the, if, if the CERB was still a thing and, and you know, what, actually scratch that, if just universal basic income was a thing, uh, everyone, whether it's a business owner, a taxi driver, um, you know, if you're, if you're disabled and can't work. You know, you're you're being you're at least you're getting enough to take care of yourself. But now, yeah. now in the case of of a cave, like his business owner, you know they 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 have they have other expenses. Uh, cave like like rent, uh, your employees. Yeah. Well, there's a very simple solution to that problem, and that's to just put a complete moratorium on on uh, rent payments. 
and not just, you know, from uh, renters to landlords, but, you know, from uh, uh, business owners to landlords or business owners to banks, you know, just put a moratorium. Right. Yeah. You know what? I, I agree. I, I think I think it's uh, just just property in general. Uh, it, it's not a money making scheme. I mean, well, it is. And it's a very big one. It is, but it shouldn't be. And it shouldn't be prior, you know, like there's no reason why we should maintain this during a major global pandemic. Right. And also like also in Quebec, we, we already know we're, we're running out of housing. The, the housing market is blowing up. There's no low income housing. So it's like none. So every whenever the government, uh, whether it's provincial, federal, municipal, whenever they, they go through with motions uh, that, 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 that allow for rent to continue to be taken in, in, in these circumstances, at least they, they aren't, they aren't protecting you or I, they yeah. are not. If, if I lost my job and I usually owe you $800 for rent, now I don't have that money to pay you. So you're out now you're out, yeah, you're out, you're out rent. But listen to this, the Serb comes in and says, okay, Avi, we're going to, we're going to give you a thousand dollars a month. Although it was more than that, uh, we'll give you a thousand dollars a month. So now this, now the landlord's saying you have money, you owe me money. But so the question here was the Serb uh, uh, a, like a citizen bailout or was it a landlord bailout? Because everyone had those payments to make to either a landlord or to the bank. Right. So I mean, essentially, if, if, if the majority of that money ends up getting sucked up by landlords and banks, then it becomes such. Um, and that's why, you know, as great uh, as a UBI is uh, within the circumstance of a pandemic or otherwise, um, it needs to be coupled with some kind of uh, rent control or moratorium. Otherwise, it's going to get completely scooped up. Right. You know, and that's all all that is to say that there are very simple, concrete uh, policies and measures that can be taken in order to curb this. You know, if people don't need to go out and work, they can stay home and they can manage their budget. They can get at least enough to, you know, feed themselves um, and house themselves, uh, then they don't need to go out and we can curb. We can just get rid of this virus sooner rather than later rather than you know uh francois legault uh doing everything he can to appease business interests and appease the school boards um you know the only reason that we've got the reason that we're he's so insistent on keeping the schools open is so that kids can go to school and people can go back to work but it doesn't work like that you're not you're just going to perpetuate this virus people are going to keep catching the virus and they're going to bring it home and it's going to continue to spread now, cases have gone down, um, but it could have been done sooner. And you can look to the examples of various different countries around the world that took concrete measures to just get it over with, just get it out of the way. New Zealand, um, for example. New Zealand, Vietnam. I don't think anyone did better than Vietnam in curbing uh, uh, COVID-19, and that's because they have a very strong state that provided food, shelter, everything that people needed, they identified the source of the virus in uh, uh, infectees and eliminated it at the root. And now people are just back to everyday life. So I totally agree with how you were saying, like I am totally against schools being open, but at the same time, you have to agree that in some households, it's um, the kids can be mentally abused, you know, they can be, it can be very hard for them to be home and, and what they need to do is to go back to school. I get that. For but sure. I, I am totally against schools being open, but at the end of the day, you have to take care of the kids. But if that's the case, you have the kids, but you take certain measures, you know, you have the, you have the desk being covered, you know, you have minimal classes, you have minimal students, like certain days for certain grades kind of thing, you know, keep the parents home from working, but have the schools being um, taking extra, extra precautions on the kids. Yeah, right, right. for sure. I agree with that. But what, what you see here under, under the provincial government is, is are now they're legislating for all children in schools. I think uh, grade one to grade five now have to wear masks. Now, um, 
Uh, this doesn't sound like a lot, but also remember grade six to grade 11, you had to wear a mask. And then once you're out of high school, you have to wear a mask. So they just keep everything adding. you do should wear a mask. Yeah, of course. But you're, they just keep adding, they just, they just add these new rules. And you know what? It feels like, it feels like they, they don't actually know what'll work. Like they're just grasping <laughs> at straws. I think you're, you're onto something here. I mean, I can definitely tell with, uh, Lugo's, uh, leadership if you want to call it that during this pandemic that it really is just grasping at straws like you say he's just winging the whole thing he doesn't know what he's doing he's trying to balance you know appeasing business leaders and you know all the business federations and um i mean that's mostly it he's mostly concerned with the interests of the business class here um teachers teachers unions workers their concerns are totally secondary um Right. And like, we can't forget that first Legault rose to, not, not to power, but to, to, to fame, let's say, when he founded Air Transat. And, and he did all, when he left the company, it was pretty much just as much winged as his, uh, <laughs> as, as his action in, in the, as premier. I mean, he left, like he left Air Transat and just didn't show up again. And, and, and he sold all his <laughs> stock and everyone was like, oh, I guess uh, Franny's not coming in again. Right. So, and then, then you, you want, <laughs> sorry, I'm not coming back to work <laughs> pretty much, but he, 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 he sold all his shares. He didn't tell anyone. And then, then he, he made like a clarifying statement. Right. So he, he just kind of does things. And I think that's that, pretty funny. That pro- yeah. And that's, in that sense, uh, you know, when you're running the, the province, especially during a, a global health crisis, I mean, you, you can't just do things like I thought, both of you correct me if i'm wrong but a politician's job is to actually go ahead and listen to the constituents so you can accurately represent them and i I don't think that uh this premier has properly done that he he first off he has like little to no support on the island of montreal right (laughs) but almost only on the island of montreal outside of montreal he is quite high support like the cac is still very popular unfortunately right. for us yeah and but if, if we look at the, the the global statistics montreal is like how much of quebec i think we have uh maybe four million last i counted mm-hmm. so i'm just gonna look this up right now um so i don't think he has quebec city though or i, I think, think in does. more more of the small quebec towns is where they you know they really come out and show the support for francois Legault. right so yeah. Well, they like him because of his kind of like populist, nationalist rhetoric, you know, making Mm -hmm. Quebec something that Quebecers can be proud of uh, on the basis of their Quebecois identity. Nothing else, really. On that note, let's talk about the Montreal Canadiens. I don't (laughs) personally, I believe that they're it's not about if they're a good team anymore. It's just the players can be English, but everything above that needs to reflect Quebec nationalist identity. So it's not, about, it's not about how good the team is, but how French the team is. Exactly. Which is like, funny. Like, I'm, I'm going to... Entirely can go ahead. No, no, sorry. You go. Go ahead. Okay, so you have to understand, um, a couple years ago, when they fired their head coach... They, uh, there were so many different options of different head coaches available, okay, the English coaches, right? But they went, they had, they had so much pressure for them to hire a French-speaking coach, right? Mm-hmm. So they went out and they, and they got Claude Julien. He's an English speaker. He's a French speaker from Ontario, right? The, the face of the organization has to be French-speaking, right. right? The general manager has to be French. The coach has to be French, which is very surprising if the, the owner isn't French. <laughs> yeah, as long as he gets to sell his beer oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so as um, long as the profits come in right well i wanted to say it's i just yeah you know, one thing too the, the the glory days of i mean maybe if we could think in the back past 20 years uh the, all the best canadians players at least from my memory were not quebecois players yeah. <laughs> they were mostly from the Czech Republic or Russia or Finland. Right. So it's like, Absolutely. It's like you see the organization of the Montreal Canadiens being uh, utilized in a political sense. Yeah. Right. And you know, For that, sure. 
I'm neither here or there on that, honestly. But it, it's just, you know, you, you, you see uh, the federal government, not the federal, the provincial government is doing what, 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 what they can, essentially, to, to try to uh, de-anglify Montreal. Absolutely. And you, and you can tell that from the fact that every single NHL jersey has a badge on, right on top, right between both the collarbones, right? And they all say NHL. But in the Montreal jersey, it says Ellen Ash because it's <laughs> trying to, you know, it's trying to say we're French. We don't speak English. Right. right. Even, even if you look at uh, Valerie Plant, the mayor of Montreal, uh, she, she recently committed Montreal to uh, bolstering Bill 101. Now it's like, you know, I, and, and I recognize that Bill 101 is, is a complex issue. Um, a lot of people feel very strongly about it, regardless of where they stand. Um, you know, right. Like, well, basically, if you're French, I mean, you know, I know plenty of French people who are against it, it's particularly in Montreal. I know plenty of, of uh, French-speaking people who are kind of just indifferent. I know a lot of people in, of both uh, English and French uh, languages that are indifferent to it, but uh, generally English speakers are very much against it because it affects them the most. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I, I kind of look at it through a, uh, through, like through a lens of, you know, the success of one group cannot come at the expense of another. And you know, when, when, when they are deleting our, our schools and school boards, it kind of feels like, like, hey, like, you, your, your success is coming at our expense. They're, That's exactly it. So the, the, government, it's, uh, the government recently uh, put forward a motion to, uh, to cap the amount of English students in CGEPs. Now, now what, how is that going to affect it? I'm, I'm just going to go to Ottawa first off. So it's like, this is just contributing to, to, to the trends that we see of young Quebecois people leaving to study and work elsewhere. Absolutely. It's a, it's a, this zero sum game mentality is only going to become a loss for the French language for Quebec as a province. Right. And, and you know what? I, I, I feel it important to say that's like, yes, I, I, I agree with some aspects of Bill 101. I agree with the aspect that, that French is, is, is a minority language within, within Canada. I agree that French is a minority language within this whole continent, this whole side of the world. I, you know, I, if you just look right. at history, you can see how the French have been historically treated by the, by the English. I mean, this is just a fact. And I think yeah, for sure. when, when it was first introduced, I believe in, uh, in 76, maybe, maybe, um, you know, it, it was, it, it was worth it. Um, but you know, it's just not been, especially I'm remembering back to ninth grade. Remember, uh, Pauline Marois fucking pasta gate. <laughs> pasta gate. Yeah. It's like, pasta gate, popcorn gate. What's next? Like how, but no, but how, how does this go to, uh, to, to, to serve uh, the, the the argument that that we need to bolster French language. If you if you like, this is silly. It's not even English. First off, which, which was the main issue that it was perceived to be an English word. Right? Yes. Now, 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 if you ask if you ask me, I think I think if the if the provincial government actually wants people to learn French, first they need help from the federal government. That's just a fact. Um, and also, they, they, they should be offering free of cost uh, French language courses, which, mind you, uh, the Minister of Anglophone Affairs, I think, believe Christopher Skeet, had already recommended. And, you know, I, I, there should just be more opportunity to actually learn the language. I agree. Yeah, Absolutely. Like going back, going back, like you said, going back to the to sports, the Montreal Canadiens, I know that in that organization, there is classes for the players to take to learn how to communicate in Montreal. Right. And like, I think that should, that should be done by the, the government should offer those courses, especially, especially considering Montreal is one of the most English areas in the province. I mean, maybe offer a, a course. Like, a, yeah, like, like my, my, my dad, he, when he moved to Canada in 1976, there was no help for him to learn how to speak French. He was on his own speaking English, even though no one wanted to speak English, right? Mm -hmm. He was, he was a, the, 
the immigrant who came to Canada speaking no English, no French, and no, there was no help for him to learn any French. Yeah, I'm right. And you know, it's crazy now, you know, many years later, um, this contingency of, you know, Quebec nationalists, rather than, you know, encouraging immigration and using the, that opportunity to teach them French, um, they are trying to curb immigration. <laughs> Right. And, you know, totally they, they have fought and won uh, specific rights in terms of, of uh, accepting uh, immigrants. So mm -hmm. I know it's like they they get to set their own cap on the amount of immigrants. And uh, last I read, if you don't have a, a proper understanding of French in uh, three years, you are you will be deported. It's, you won't be moved to Ontario. You will be kicked out of the country as a whole. Right. So that, like, it's, it's so pre preposterous. I mean, I would argue it's, it's counterintuitive. It just, it's, yeah. you do that. I mean, so, okay, let me just move on. Um, this one, uh, no, so Nova Scotia liberal MPs decry NDP political stunt after voting down bill on national pharmacare. Oh, this is a good one. Let, let me preface. I, I actually believe the NDP knew that their motion would be voted down. So I, I, I can see why the liberals are saying it's a political stunt. I mean, because honestly, I, I think no one was expecting uh, the liberals or the conservatives to actually vote uh, for the motion. I'm going to actually have to contest that because this is no more a stunt than the liberals every single election time comes around and they say, oh, we're going to get a national pharmacare plan on the agenda. Every single time they use na uh, national pharmacare and dental care, uh, whatever, that sounds nice, as a political prop in order to secure votes uh, away from the NDP and towards the Liberals. Um, and then once in power, they do nothing. And then the opportunity comes to actually pass a national pharmacare bill and they turn it down unanimously. Right. So, and like, I, I know the liberals have been promising this kind of stuff since the nineties and never, yeah. but it's like, look, so, I mean, all parties of the house are, are upset at the liberal party. Like if, if you watch CPAC, you can, it's just constant yelling. It's not even intelligible. Um, so it's like, you know, I, I see the NDP when they put forward this motion, they're, they're, they're kind of thinking like, Hey, you know, it'll probably get voted down. But that'll go to serve to uh, to give me political fodder to give my base to get them uh, antsy to get them uh, like upset enough for a general right right and right know, that's absolutely what it was and can you really blame them for doing that like no, oh it's a political stunt you're the part your party voted down pharmacare for its citizens right and it's like you know what it's <laughs> every Every time the liberals get uh, get approached by by any, any party uh, in the House of Commons, usually I see it a lot by Justin Trudeau. Well, if the NDP just wants the uh, just wants an election, then maybe I'll give it to them. Or if the Conservatives just want to play cheap political games, right? So it's, you know, I've never seen um, a minority government work so hard against the majority of Parliament. Like they, right? If you, they just don't want to. They, they don't want to work with the others and no one wants to say they want an election because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. so, so, well, and, and it's just like the liberal party, nobody plays games to the same extent that they do. You know, when the health minister, uh, Patty Hedge do in 2019 says, we're going forward to implement a national, national pharmacare bill. Yeah, it was part of Trudeau's platform. Um, it was part of the Green platform. It was part of the NDP platform. It's easily the single most popular, one of the most popular um, proposed policies in Canada. It has like 77% national support across the field, across party lines. But an NDP MP like Peter Julian drafts the bill. They all vote against it. And Trudeau's justification was that we will not support this because we don't want uh, to impose that from the top down, from the federal level onto the province, onto the provinces. We want to work with provinces to orchestrate a deal. What deal? What do you? Th there's been no talk 
ever about any kind of attempt to work out different provincial uh, pharmacare plans. None whatsoever. It's just uh, it's just an, an attempt to deflect responsibility uh, and to avoid actually having to pass a plan that would hurt the profits of pharmaceutical companies. Right, and it's like, and I think I think we can tell just by looking at the both the liberals and, and conservatives' their track record. They they both clearly have one thing at the top of the minds at the top of their mind. It's just, it's, it's how, how do we best keep the economy going? Right. That's it. We don't care if you die from uh, unclean water or exposure. <laughs> just how, how can we make sure that this graph stays good? It stays proper. The, the, the graph's going up the line more gooder. The right. line is green right now. As long as the line is green, we don't have to worry about anything else. Right. And you, if you if you read the the, uh, the the goals of the parties, right? Like if they're they're against any kind of any anything further to the left of the liberals, um, so it, it's they they are basically one huge party. That's how I see it. They they are one party with key with a, a few key differences. Overall, they're more or less the same. It's not totally uh, different from the dynamic between the Democrats and Republicans in the United States, where on the like 90% of issues, they're completely aligned when it comes to foreign policy, when it comes to economic policy, they're almost completely aligned and both enact the same agenda. It, the only difference is in terms of certain civil liberties and social cultural rights, you know, maybe uh, abortion and um, LGBT rights. That's where you might see some differentiation between the two parties um but ultimately yeah they both have the same roughly the same economic agenda i would you know i'd say conservatives are maybe a little more free market oriented than the liberals um well yeah the, the conservatives of course they they believe they're fiscally conservative versus fiscally liberal right it's just uh the, they, they, they think they can impact the forces in, in, a, in a different manner that's that's my rudimentary understanding of economics. I mean, to be quite that's honest, it. to be quite honest, I mean, I, I dropped out of college so I wouldn't have to take this economics course. That's, <laughs> that's just the fact. Um, but you know, what? it's like it's fun. But I, I get I get frustrated. It's like how are the main parties, the the liberals, the conservatives, how do they keep gaining power when most Canadians don't benefit from this? Yeah. Uh, the Bloc Québécois just put, put forward a motion this week about increasing the old age pension by, get this, hold your purse, $110. <laughs> and, and guess what? Guess what? I, it, it was... Everyone had something to say. The, the NDP on one hand was saying it's not enough. Um, the Greens as well. And then you have the Liberals and Conservatives going, no, it's fine where it is. We don't need to spend more money. <laughs> But you know what? But you know what? Also, uh, the conservatives bring up a lot about uh, the, the debt, the national debt, which let me point out. Um, so many governments, many of recent governments have ran debts and deficits. It's, it's normal. OK, but what you see now is um, we have amassed, I think, well over five hundred billion dollars in debt. And we don't know how, how what the plan is to pay it back. The Trudeau government is, um, as far as I can tell, through the through uh, looking on like Canada.ca, um, the first government to not implement a budget. We have implemented a budget through two world wars and through the <laughs> Spanish flu, through the last pandemic. We have implemented budgets. Now, what 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 the Trudeau government is doing? They're they're they're, they're giving like economic snapshots. So, right. How there's well, not enough information. There's a very simple fix to this: tax the rich. Well, yeah. Force force the rich to pay their fair share. Implement a capital gains tax. You know, uh, the Panama Papers revealed. I don't even know. Untold trillions of dollars are are uh, withheld from uh, global governments through tax havens. Uh, Canadian banks play a major role in 
solidifying this process. Um, so who knows how much money, we don't even know how much money is lying in these tax havens. If we just tackle them, if we actually decide to say, hey, you're, any money you make in Canada has to come back to Canada, has to be taxed in Canada. Yeah, I mean, I think that that'd be a good start, right? But we don't even know what Justin Trudeau is gonna gonna do. There's, I no doubt he's gonna do anything about there's, it, and that's really the problem here. So well, it'll probably he'll probably raise those taxes on 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 poor schmucks like us three. Right, he'll he'll raise it on the middle class, and right the lower class. Right, one one something I've been saying for a while is uh, the difference between the Liberal Party and the Conservative Party is that the Liberal Party wants to be liked. And you know, I think, oh, okay, and I think that, um, I think that that pretty much uh, tells you all, all you need to know. What, what I believe, I believe that the future of Parliament lies with the Greens, the NDP, and the Bloc. I think that the Liberals and the Conservatives are just obsolete. They're too old. They're ran by these old white dudes. Lots of old school money. <laughs> you know what they? I, I think. I mean, to to accurately reflect give credit where it's due. The Liberal Party now uh, is is pretty highly diverse, um, and that doesn't stop their MPs from voting down, you know, bills like the C thirteen C two thirteen bill, which would have given every citizen national pharmacare. Um, Right, but it's like you look so I think at, the root of the problem is is deeper than simply you know filling diversity quotas. It's just a matter of of uh, ideology, really, principles, right? Uh, allegiances to certain factions, to certain uh, interests. Um, I just want to say one thing. I was actually looking up before, and did you guys know that the CERB that the people collected is actually going to be a taxable income off your tax bracket? Yeah, you know, I, I think that's yeah. stupid because first off, just just tax it at the source. Just <laughs> just, just take it off right when you give it to of, us. Instead of giving me a thousand dollars, give me seven hundred and fifty. Tax right. paid, I still get my money, and and it avoids the the possibility of me using the entirety of Serb just to be fucked over next tax season, or at least uh, this tax season. Yeah, that's I exactly think it. that the, the way that they, they handle that could have changed a little bit because you can see that a lot of 15, 16, 17 year olds who didn't work full time got full time money. Right. I know I know someone who's 16, 17 years old and they, they work like six, seven hours a week and they qualified to get two thousand dollars a month. Right. right? You know, I, I, I do think like um, that there should have been more. And uh, put into, into into actually deciding how much someone is uh, uh, gets, um, who gets what, because uh, when CERB was implemented, it was it was done by unanimous consent, meaning that there was no there was no debate. Just, hey, um, does everyone agree with me? Yeah, and mind you, all the all the CERB motions concerning budget and money have been unanimously passed. So it's like, oh yeah, it's it's immensely popular, right? And you know what? And you know what? Got this. I, I was I actually just uh, just just looking because we we we're getting India is sending us uh, two million vaccine doses. Yeah, I heard about that. Now, now the funny thing is, uh, they're not giving a name brand version; they're giving their version. So what 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 the Indian government manages to make, and. This, uh, so the, in the Indian constitution, or at least what, what I've read, um, it is illegal to have drug patents. Now, I, I kind of find that, um, uh, kind of find that ironic that the liberal government, after, you know, offering patents and whatever, and again, socialism and communism, <laughs> it's like, let's, let's go to a country with something that would be decried as communist in the United States. even. In well, well, okay. I'll, I'll have to stop you right there. The Indian constitution actually originally did have uh, socialism written into it. I, I, I believe it still does. The original writers of the Indian constitution were mostly very far left. Um, it was only over the years that, you know, certain uh, factions of the ruling class kind of co-opted power centers and parties within India and 
the ruling class in, in, in India now, like the ruling party, Modi's BJP, is very far right. Like literally drawing into like the BJP is a the political wing of a militant uh, Hindu nationalist group called the RSS, which literally draws inspiration from Hitler. That's not made up. That's not hyperbole. Hyperbole. That's literally a fact. <laughs> right. So it, they're a very far right government. But it is ironic that despite that, uh, and despite you know increasing corporatization, financialization of the economy through this party, and cutting of certain welfare benefits and price protections for farmers, um, that they still have that in their constitution. So that is ironic. Right. And, and I, you know, I, I just find it weird how, how Canada, who is a, basically, we're, we're USA junior in some aspects, capitalism <laughs> all the way, will we'll go, to, go to a country with, with rules such as this to, to, to benefit from the vaccine. So why, why, why is socialism... Um, and for those who, who can't see when they're listening to this podcast, I was doing socialism with air quotes. Why is socialism <laughs> being, uh, it, it being used and taken advantage of now when we need it with, with the CERB, um, with these vaccines? Socialism is good right now. But other than that, no, no, we don't No, We're going to go back. To I mean, grass. I mean, I'll say this. It's the social, uh, the, uh, Supposedly socialist countries and nations or social democratic parties in capitalist nations that have handled this pandemic the best. Uh, New Zealand has a social democratic government. I believe South Korea and Taiwan as well have marginally social democratic governments. Uh, Vietnam, Cuba, uh, China, they all have, though China, that's very disputable <laughs> whether they're, they're genuinely committed to socialism, but Cuba and Vietnam certainly are still nominally socialist. Um, and these are the countries that handled the virus the best yep. on basically all standards. I mean, Cuba was sending doctors uh, to Italy to help with their issue because they couldn't get it under control. Yeah. Well, you can agree that the Canadian, the Canadian population and the United States population, what they, you can tell that they have a problem with what the government tells you, right? They won't listen totally. to the government. There, there's a group of people who will, who will agree and a group of people who won't. And the people who won't will just, they won't fix their problem, you know? Like, you can tell half the population of the United States right now are not wearing masks and they refuse to wear masks, right? There's, well, that's certainly part of the issue, right? And I, I think in the United States, that's even even worse. Like the United States is such a, a hive of propaganda and fake news, you know, that exists here in Canada too, but in the United States, it's like nowhere else. I think uh, Canada, if, any, if we could have done anything better, was to just, you know, not worry about maintaining the economy and just, you know, get everyone at home, make sure that they're taken care of and get over this, you know, get over the virus like other countries have already done uh, so that we can return to business, you know, so that we can what, get back to our jobs. With the best possible thing for the whole, in my opinion, this is what I would do. I would, honest to God, lock down everything for a solid two weeks, have two weeks to prepare for that lockdown, shut everything down except for uh, pharmacies, uh, hospitals, stuff, stuff like that, right? Shut down Walmart, okay? Give people money to stay home because that's all. If, if you give them money, they'll stay home, right? Yeah. Yeah. Give them absolutely. Money, stay home, lock everything down for two weeks, <laughs> and you will see a dramatic change. Well, this is basically the approach that countries like China and Vietnam took. Um, and these are incredible, like, Vietnam is incredibly dense. They have like three times, three or four times the population that we have in a minuscule fraction of the si of a size of the country and they dominated they absolutely destroyed it they hardly had they don't have like they get a few cases every week and then they they lock that person down and ensure that it doesn't spread and people are back to normal right, you, you know, know people I are think, living their lives i actually think um that this this pandemic would have been a, a perfect moment for the war measures act to, to give more power to the uh, parliament of canada so they they can, absolutely they can, unilaterally impose those restrictions that you you're both are talking about 
by leaving it to people like Doug Ford, uh, Francois Legault. I mean, it's like you, you get half measures. I mean, it's, it's, it's really good that you mentioned that, especially in this conversation about like socialism and, and the state and what effect it can have on the economy and dealing with crises. Um, the War Measures Act was by far the most far-reaching state intervention that Canada has ever had. You know, there were some cases where they had imposed like up to 80 to 90% taxes on certain companies. Um, taxes were increased. Um, the state subsidized certain endeavors. You know, th the state got involved to whatever degree it had to in order to get things done. And we totally could have done that. And you you know, know, instead, know. In, instead, we spent, you know, billions of dollars subsidizing failing companies. I just want to know why the the idea of traveling within Canada and going down south was prohibited in the first place during this, you know, the pandemic, right? Why why were people allowed to go to go on a trip? Right? right? And you're trying to lock everything down, but why are you letting them go to Cuba? Why are you letting them go to Mexico? Why are you letting them go down south? Why why are you letting people travel from one side of Canada to the other side just by saying they can stay home for two weeks right after? Just right. stop, stop the traveling, right? Contain everything in, from one province. Okay? Like, That's the it. Border, the Quebec border to Ontario right now is closed by police. You can't go unless you work. Same thing to New Brunswick. You can only go if you work there. But I don't understand why the Canadian government and the Quebec government are just allowing you, you know, to, to leave. They like, Francois Legault said, you cannot be with your family on the holidays, but you can take your family and go see them in, in Cuba or Mexico. Right. And it's, you know, it's, and also on that, on that note, actually, they, they were encouraging people to go out and, and basically take advantage of these new measures that are open, right, for March break. He, he encouraged, I think it was Dubay, Minister of uh, Public Health. Um, he, 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 he straight up asked everyone to go to the movie theater and to go do this and do that. And you know what, what bothers me is it's under, it, it feels like to me anyways, it, it's under the guise of mental health. Like, you know what, if, if they cared about mental health, um, they would make homelessness, homelessness illegal and not in the sense of, of making it a crime to be homeless, but a crime to make someone homeless. Right. If they actually cared about mental health, they would take absolutely uh, like that. They would they would they would pharmacare would be one. Um, a youth right. Punish landlords for evicting people during a pandemic in the winter. <laughs> Honestly, as someone who does suffer from that, it's really hard because you you guys know I have a very big family who wants to be with each other all the time, right? Right. We can't do that. Like we can't go. Like I know I know you guys know that my family we meet every Sunday together and we hang the whole day together. You can't do that. It's been a almost it's been almost a full year that you can't do that, right? There was yeah you, during a very hard time that it was a one-year gap between when my mom died so the one-year anniversary from when my mom passed away I was not allowed to be with my family and they couldn't be with me and everyone was suffering day by day right yeah another thing before the before the Christmas holidays I felt like Francois Legault could have done something different you know lock down something lock down schools and everything and have a two-week gap before Christmas to New Year's so you, our families can be together on Christmas Day Right. Right. I mean, actually, I, I take a, a rather um, anti-clerical view on that. I, I think Christmas should have just been locked down completely. The whole, the whole two-week vacation. <laughs> no, seriously, it's it's home to how many holidays? Well, the, the Christmas season. You have Hanukkah. You have you have uh, you have Christmas. You have um, other other uh, holidays. I, I don't even know their names, but. You know, for instance, what, what you saw, what you saw, I'll tell you what you saw, actually. So uh, in late November, uh, Brampton specifically, it was a, a large uh, Southeast Asian community. They had, they had a holiday and there was an increase in cases. And what did everyone say? They went, oh, those fucking Indians and, and their holidays and their rituals. <laughs> then, then it was my turn. It was time for the Jews when we had Hanukkah. Uh, for everyone to go, oh, the cases are rising. It's the fucking Jews and, and, and their rituals. But then when Christmas comes and all the fucking, and the cases are sky high, everyone's like, 
yeah, let's, let's all gather in one tiny room with no ventilation. You can tell, you can tell by that, from that Christmas holiday, the spike of COVID cases is a proof that the people, Quebec people or any people around North America, US or Canada or whatever, they will not listen to the government. I, I think, you know? I think people aren't listening because they've been so wishy-washy. For sure. People don't trust, people don't trust what the government's saying. Right. So if Legault were to actually make up his mind and put in place a measure and, and, and you know, you know, with, with like clear guidelines and clear limits, I think people would listen. I think people are smart enough to do, to do that. But, but if you come in and you say, okay, first off, uh, Jews, we're going to barricade you in Cote St. Luke, which did happen, mind you. And then, and also, also Jews, you, you can't, you can't do this, 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 this you can't go to synagogue. Uh, all, all your holidays, you, you can't have holidays. But Christmas comes around, and all of a sudden, the floodgates open. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, now, if anything, that is just a, a, a clear favoritism, which, since we live, I'm going to use the words of the state against them, since we live in a state and in a province that does not, that, that promotes uh, laïcité, uh, the separation of church and state, I think for that reason, they should have shut down for all holidays to avoid Agreed. showing that kind of favoritism. Right. Yeah. For, for a party that talks, uh, talks a lot about secularism, tried to pass certain laws on the basis of secularism, prohibiting, you know, religious, uh, religious garb in uh, public professions. They really don't show that secularism when it comes to every other aspect of their governance. Right. So like, you know, if they were consistent, I think, I think, I really do think people would follow. No one wants to get sick. No one wants to spread a pandemic around. But, you know, when we're given um, one message saying one thing and then one, so like, for example, cases are good enough to have a uh, spring break, but we might not, but then, but then, but then there's a possibility that we won't even uh, loosen your restrictions after that. So I like, want to comment on that. The, the March break idea that they have the from, cause I have nephews and nieces very young and I understand that they need to go out from what I understand the restrictions that they put are actually very high. Like for example, my sister is taking her two boys to go play hockey. Okay, at the at the local rink, but you can only be on the ice if it's the same address in the house, right? You cannot be in the locker rooms. You have to get dressed on the ice, and there is a half an hour gap between you and the next person going on the ice because they have to sanitize everything. Okay, movie theater, same thing. You have to you're going, but there is a large gap between you and the next person, and you have to wear a mask inside the movie theater. Right. Okay. Which which all makes sense. I do agree with. What I do not agree with is that the government is, or uh, the provincial government is kind of feels like they're just kind of dangling it. Like, Hey, it, we, it's there now, now, now it's there. But then ap after spring break, uh, well, we no longer, they're going to take it away. We no longer need to look good um, or as good. We'll, we'll, we'll just blame it on cases and take it, take the rights away. Take the, take those, uh, reimpose those restrictions. One more thing I want to ask you guys. What is your guys' thoughts about uh, sports being canceled? All sports. So, um, a tricky question. So, sports that require, um, so let me, let me, so professional sports. So, if we take the case of the NHL, um, we know there are, they have their own bubble. They have a lot of testing. No, on the, on the, no, no, no guests, no whatever. Play, play your heart out. Um, I think, if, like at the local at the local ODR at the rink, um, I I should not be able to go with my hockey stick and my six friends to may, maybe six if I'm not lucky um, to to just go play a random game of hockey. Because okay, so because they're like you know the or organized hockey right like right now there's this like going to hockey there's. Uh, you can wear masks on the ice that connect to your helmet, okay? Like, I understand hockey, that you're hitting the guy, you're going together on the boards, like, you're clo very close together. But there are there are regulations, and there's ways to get around it where you just put a mask on if you want to play, you know, because a lot of these people who are playing hockey, they need it because they need it for their mental health, okay? 
they needed to get out. They needed to be with their, to be outside with people. They needed, they need to go out and do physical activity, you know, to burn some, burn some problems in your head, right? Personally, I think that there, there could be different measures that they could take for sports. I would love to see hockey be open. I would love to see soccer, you know, go in the summer. I just feel like we can't rush to reopen things uh, before we had this virus under control. You know, the sooner we can get it under control, the sooner we can go back to life as normal. Yeah. And on that from, note, that, from, from that, the when the original lockdown happened and the cases started going down, that's when sports happened again. And you saw that there wasn't an incline in cases because of sports. Actually, I like to point out uh, my rugby club was instructed by um, uh, Rugby Canada to, to, to literally put off all meetings. Our season was canceled because of the coronavirus. Okay. So... No, I think if we are going to allow sports, we should not be allowing team sports. So sports such as cross-country skiing, snowshoeing, um, <laughs> tennis, which you can't have right now outside, but indoor gyms, tennis, badminton, you know, th- those mm-hmm. kind of sports, um, they, they just naturally seem safer because there's, there's less uh, possibility of breath-to-breath contact, I guess I would call it. Right. So, so in the case of professional sports, like they, 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 they're spending a lot of money on making sure um, they are not COVID uh, hit. So, I mean, keep, 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 keep them playing. Like, I understand that uh, uh, professional sports is, is kind of like, uh, it's like a drug almost to most people. It's, it, for, yeah, for most citizens. Let, let me watch the Habs game. I, I'm angry. Let me take out some energy. I'm going to watch some hockey. Yeah, I do that. Right. So, um, so it's like professional sports. Like I understand they need, they, they, they should be there, but you know what? Incorp- incorporating uh, th- those minor league sports, it's just not the time. I mean, are, are we willing to risk uh, little Timmy who's seven years old getting COVID from his coaches? Right. Like e- even, even with the restrictions you mentioned, I mean, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem worth it to be people. There's still going to be a lineup. A lot of parents are still going to go waiting at, at, at the local rink, whether it's the Dollard Civic Center or the Pierre Font Catacras. I mean, there's still going to be gathering zones for the parents because that, that's what parents do. When their, kid, when their child goes, play ho- goes to play hockey or soccer or badminton or fucking football, whatever, they, 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 they tend to stay. And then they tend yeah. to talk to each other. And especially in hockey, from what I've seen, there tends to be a lot of yelling. Now, when you yell, it's you're, you're projecting uh, these these aerosols further to get to hit more people. Like I, I think I think um, uh, I think we're gonna run into more problems with the vaccines. I really do. Uh, and you know what? In terms of uh, Francois Legault, I think he, I think he. Um, uh, actually, I'm not even talking about Legault. I just I just think the liberals. We we will run into more problems with the vaccines. I just, ha- I have a feeling that we will. And we, we're not going to be out of this. Just based on the track record so far, I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I want to see the vaccine succeed with everybody. I want to see people here get vaccinated so everything can slowly, you know, mm-hmm. open, you know, everyone can be, their, be themselves again. But I, like you said, I have a I have a gut feeling that some something is gonna go wrong. You know, the vaccines are not gonna go out. The second dose is not gonna happen for most people, right? Right. And Quebec already took that huge gamble, going, oh, we'll give you a dose today, and then maybe a year from now when we get the second dose, we'll give it to you. Yeah. I mean, all all that to say that you know, I think we we we've, we've all expressed some uh, some discomfort. With, with the path that the, the federal government is taking us on. And correct me if I'm wrong, please, but that, that, is, that is what I understood from this conversation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, I want to thank both of you for being involved, for, uh, for joining this conversation. So, yeah, if you guys want to contact me directly or talk further about this, my Instagram is kamiri with the I-98. So that's K-A-M-I-R-I-I-98 on Instagram.
Uh, I, I'll, I'll plug all my, my credentials. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. My personal Twitter is at Adijib, so A-D-D-E-Y-J-I-B-B. You can find uh, Scapegoat Media's Twitter handle at media underscore scapegoat. We're also on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. So Facebook is Scapegoat Media. Instagram is media.scapegoat. And Scapegoat Media should get you there on YouTube as well. Right, and uh, lastly, you know, if, if you guys enjoyed what uh, you listened to, uh, you, you can always find me on Twitter. Um, the handle is Avi underscore Carp. That's A-V-I underscore K-A-R-P. Same thing for Instagram and Facebook. Um, so that being said, thank you for listening to this very first episode of The Continental.